Well, it's good to see those of you that are here and those that are in our Thompson room or Conference Fellowship Hall room and then those of you at home, welcome and as we gather to celebrate our Lord. Now, I just kinda, I'm just going to comment on this last song that we just sang. You know, we praise God from whom all blessings flow. And it's, I'm going to connect it to the conversation I had with Tony beforehand uh, a little bit earlier. I said, if this is the worst thing that happens to us today, it's going to be a really good day. And think about it. All it is is chilly. But think about the blessings we do have. God has given us the ability to breathe, to be here today, the way to get here. We have clothes that keep us warm. Our brother here, who was Bill, who was, who was over here playing, and um, I was giving him a hard time earlier because, you know, I was thinking, that there's always a tough guy who has to take his jacket off like the guys at the football games who write numbers on their chests and stand out there in the freezing cold. Some of us are going to watch football today. We're going to see the guys probably in Green Bay, you know, that are out there with no shirts on in like one degrees or sub-zero. And I thought, you know, I was teasing him. And then his wife goes to me and says, no, he was being good to me. He gave me his jacket. You know, so blessings, you know, great blessings, you know, kudo, brother, points, but uh, wonderful stuff. I mean, we have so many things for which to praise our Lord for, things for which we can be grateful for. It's a little chilly today, but still, the glitches are going to get resolved, the furnace will once again work, and we'll be warm. But we have a great day today to praise our Lord and to serve him. So for that, I'm grateful, and, um, and we have the privilege to love our Lord. He knows us. He loves us. So we know him. We have the privilege to spend some time around his word and learn and grow. We have been blessed, even though we're chilly. And I'm glad we're, today we're the chilly frozen. We don't have to be the frozen chosen. Uh, but the, we are so have a privilege to praise the Lord. You know, I say that stuff and I think of that commercial now. What is it? Uh, farmers, not farmers. What's the, what is that commercial? The, you know, that, the dad humor? You know when when you get when you when you you know when you get you get married you buy your house you start to become your fathers your you know I said well it's coming out of me you know so oh I could go but I won't I'll <laughs> that's me so I get it well let's pray together we'll jump into things <laughs> Father I thank you for the privilege you give us today to just even though we're here whether we're in a the adjourning room where it's warm but we have the ability to send a live feed or whether we're home sitting on our sofa or around the kitchen table and just relaxing in a different way and enjoying the service or whether we're in here a little bit chilly today but still be able to be present. Father, I thank you so much for your rich goodness to us, for the, the ways that you lavish your love upon us. And Father, to enable us to look beyond the hurdles, to look beyond the obstacles, to look beyond some of the challenges that face us, and to see you, and to see your richness, and to see your goodness, your love, your mercy, your kindness, to see all of that. Father, just bless us today as we seek to honor and celebrate and bless you. Lord, be honored in our time today, and I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, this morning we are going to beginning, we're beginning a new series, and uh, it's, it's Genesis, where hope begins, the beginning of hope, and, and I'm looking forward to that. It's, we were planning on doing a different series, and as we kind of looked at things this fall and processed through a number of things this fall, we recognized we wanted to shift gears to this particular series. And as we, in particular, as we were walking through the series and, 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 and looking at things that have motivated people to step away from God, it really struck me that so often some of the people that are choosing to step away from God have really lost 
contact and connection with some of the underlying foundations and the underlying principles of faith and what God is about. And so we really thought it would be good. Let's go back to some of the beginning conversations. And also as we look at the conversations that are taking place in our culture. We have a number of major conversations that are taking place in our culture. And part of the reason those conversations are taking place is because they have lost connection to the beginning. They've lost connection to the foundations that were laid, those foundations that were communicated by God. Now, some of you know that I have gone off and, and done some training to be a life coach and I'm doing some stuff with that. And, and I've developed some relationships and friendships in, in the coaching world. And one of the things that's been really interesting to me, and it just kind of had like a bit of an epiphany this past week as I've been listening to some of the conversations, engaged in some of those conversations. In our world, we are searching for things that brings centering into our lives, that bring balance, that kind of brings stability, and so that kind of gives us that stable, centered place from which to move and function in life. And again, as I processed through that and thought through those things, we have lost connection to the foundations. And because we've lost connection to those foundations, we go to other things to find centering. So people go to yoga to get centered, or they go to meditation to find centering, or they go to other resources and other paths to kind of find that balance and that centering in life. I was, I was in the midst of a conversation this past week, and as I was listening to that conversation, for me in my journey, as I kind of find myself getting scattered, and as I find myself kind of getting stretched, what do I need to do? I kind of come back, and the way I get recentered is I focus back in on the Lord, and I come back and I reconnect with who I am in Christ, where I am in my journey, who I have been called to be, what I've been called to, how I've been called to live, and I kind of get reconnected to the reality of who I am in Jesus Christ, and that brings me back kind of to ground zero. It brings me back to that stable place where I can then start to move forward, and where all the stuff that swirls around kind of starts to get me put in perspective, and the, and the things that kind of are going boom, 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 bouncing out off the walls kind of thing, and like the red line going and, you know, eject, 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 you kind of come back and you kind of go, you know, I don't need to eject, I just kind of need to stay centered on who I am in Christ, I need to stay focused on the reality of who I, who I am as I walk with my Lord and what it means to know him and to love him and the fact that I am known and loved by him, and it brings that stability in that constant where I can come back. And yet our world doesn't understand this. And so they are searching for all sorts of other things where the answer is in God's word. But we've gotten disconnected from and we have created distance from the foundations that really communicate for us what those things are. So as we think about why are we looking at the beginning of Genesis and why are we going to take time to walk through at least the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis because it's so much of the foundation. One other thing to think about. So many of the core foundations of what we stand for, what we believe, what we hold on to are introduced and presented in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Even as we will come and talk about the conversation of Christ and redemption, 
It is introduced and it's communicated in Genesis. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll jump into it. Father, I want to say thank you so very much for your time and for your love and for your grace. And Father, I just ask that you would guide our time as we continue to process through. And Father, as we start to dig in a little bit to Genesis and as we start to discover, and or not even just discover, but to re-uncover, to, to be reacquainted with the truths that we know, but just don't always take the time to go back and listen to and process through. Lord, I would just ask that you would continue to guide us, continue to build in us, continue to strengthen us. Father, work on the foundations of our lives. Work on those things that allow us to have a sense of stability, allow us to have a sense of security and, and just clarity in the path that you have called us to live. And so as we live in our world and interact in our world, we don't need to worry about things going crazy because we know the one to whom we are holding on to. We, 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 we understand the foundations that shape our lives and we understand the place where we are standing and we have that confidence that it's not going to move, it's not going to shift, it's not going to disappear. Father, just guide our time as we spend a little bit more time looking here at the beginning part of the creation story. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, as we come into Genesis I would say, when we look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, here is the big challenge that most people have. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we may read that, we may look at that, and we say to ourselves, that's really not a big deal. This is a huge, huge deal. Many people love the idea of generic God. Knocking that over. I like room temperature water, but this is now refrigerated water. (laughs) So, So, many people love the idea of generic God. You know, a God that they can modify... A God that they can kind of accommodate to the things that are important to them. A God that they can say, well, these are the things I like, therefore I'm going to put them in the list of who God is. But this stuff over here, I don't like this stuff, so this stuff over here is now off the list. I don't like that stuff. People like the idea of generic God. What people don't like is people don't like the idea of a specific God. They don't necessarily like the idea of a God who says, this is who I am. This is what it means to believe in me. This is what it means to serve me. And since I am God, these are the values that I have. These are the priorities that I have. These are the expectations that I have. These are the things that I celebrate when you do them. And these are the things that I am upset when you do them. And so therefore, I am going to bless you when you do those things that I celebrate and I rejoice. And there are going to be consequences and punishment for the things that you do that are wrong. Now, People love the idea of generic God, but they hate the idea of specific God. 
And so again, we find ourselves in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When we read this and we look at this, we need to understand that this is not generic God. This is specific God. God is beginning the process of introducing himself. God is beginning the process of walking through for you and for me and for everyone who's ever read the book of Genesis that this is who God is, this is what God is about, and these are the things that now start to help us to understand who he is, what he is like, and what it means to walk and to live in relationship with him. Later on, we're going to read about Cain and Abel. What's going on with Cain and Abel? Just a real quick hint. What's going on is we're dealing with not generic God. We're dealing with specific God. And God has identified specific things. And Abel is fine with it. And Cain hates it. Cain wants generic God, not specific God. And because there is specific God, he's ticked off. He kills his brother because he has a problem with specific God. People love generic God. You can listen to people in our culture. You can talk to people in our culture. They love the idea of God. As long as they can define him. As long as they can shape him. As long as he is warm and fuzzy. But as soon as we start to talk about the specifics of who God is... people start to get uncomfortable. Now, have you ever heard the stories about people who say they pick a celebrity? And they say, oh, I love him. Okay? Maybe they listen to their music, or maybe they're an actor. There's something that brings them into the public eye. And as they are presented in the public eye, the publicists and all that kind of stuff, they have sculpted and crafted their image and they have been careful to try to communicate and and cast a picture, an image of who this person is. Oh, I love him! And then finally someone who goes, Oh, I love him! He's on my list of most people I want to meet! And then one day, amazingly, they get to meet him. They're in the city, they're on the elevator, and into the elevator they walk. (gasps) I want to touch him, you kind of thing. And they try to strike up a conversation. And they find out the person's a jerk. What happens? Their generic image has started to be connected to the real of who they are. Now, God is not a jerk. He's not. But our culture tries to paint him as one because he has standards and expectations. And what happens is as we start to get to know people and as we start to go from fantasy and imagination to really starting to get to know individuals, it shifts. And we discover that times that sometimes as you interact with people, they kind of poke you in different ways. And they challenge you in different ways. And they hold you accountable in certain ways. And all of a sudden, when we go from generic to specific, things shift. And people don't like specific God. They want generic God. Now, for 
for people who hold evolution, they have a super huge problem with Genesis 1. They look at this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth? I don't think so. That's what the evolutionary says. Their very problem with God begins in Genesis 1.1. They say God didn't create. There's no God. You can have your imagination, you can have your fantasy, you can have your hope for a generic God, but there's no specific God. It's an imagination. That's what the evolutionist says. And their problem with the Bible and their problem with God begins in the very first words. In the beginning, God. They've got a problem. Now, this is where they disagree. As we talk about this, I want to be honest about something. For both the evolutionist and the Christian, we have a problem or a challenge with the question of origins. We have a question. We have a challenge. Where did stuff come from? Where did it come from? Stuff had to come from somewhere. Now, as you talk about and listen to the evolutionist worldview, they often usually come back to the Big Bang conversation where they said that everything was kind of all piled in together. You know, the, the, you, we have this expansion, contraction, expansion, contraction. And so stuff came in together, got really hot. Kaboom, it all got spread out. Now, here's part of the problem with this whole conversation. When you start to listen to science today... They talk about this thing called escape velocity. This is a real deal. It's a real issue. And it's a huge problem for evolution. And the reason it's a huge problem for evolution is because creation, everything that exists, it's moving away from itself faster than gravity can pull it all back in. Okay, so the concept of explosion, expansion, contraction, explosion, expansion, contraction. The problem is that the general idea of evolution with that whole process taking place, it doesn't take place because we have explosion, expansion, but things are going too fast and too far from each other for the contraction to take place. So you have the question of where do things begin? So, January 1st, Connor had a conversation with me. And he told me, he said, you want to know something? We have some things that have spontaneously arrived on our yard. They spontaneously erupted. And they spontaneously presented themselves. It must be evolution. (laughs) Because these things just appeared on our yard. A broken side passenger mirror and a hookup from, that goes from a, a like a five pin round pin hookup to a straight pin hookup for a trailer. So you can hook up your trailer and tow it and you can put lights on your trailer. Now this one is this one isn't broken, so if anyone wants a converter thing to go from a round to a straight pin or a round pin, we have it. You don't have to go buy it. It spontaneously appeared. And um and, and we have it available for you. Now you all know exactly what's going on. No, it didn't spontaneously appear. <laughs> well, you are right. 
It appeared that on New Year's night, someone was driving down Dayton Avenue. I'm assuming they were above the limit because they appeared to not stop at the stop sign and they proceeded to drive onto our yard, drive underneath the guide wire that's holding one of the poles in place, and as they backed up, they ripped the side view mirror off of their car. Problem with drinking and driving, many of them. They will come to the next morning. They'll finally wake up and they'll go out and look at their car and look at the scrape marks down the right-hand side and also wonder where in the world their side view mirror has gone to. And when they go to hook up their trailer, they're going to find out that this is missing as well. We know full well that stuff does not just spontaneously appear. It comes from somewhere. Someone made it. Somehow it got there. Someone put it there. They may not have done it intentionally, but it was put there. This is the problem with evolution. Stuff comes from something. As a Christian... We have a similar question. Where did God come from? Okay, so we look at this. In the beginning, God created, and so we know stuff was made by God. It didn't just spontaneously, miraculously, evolutionally appear. It was made. It was put here. But the Christian is going to wrestle with the question, where does God come from? Now, that's not a little question. That's a big question. But here's the reality. As you talk to the evolutionist, and as you talk to the Christian, every single one of us comes to a starting point in different ways of faith. Every single one of us. And that's part of the challenge and that's part of the conversation that takes place. There's always a step of faith. For the evolutionary conversation that takes place, there is a step of faith. Things had to have started somewhere. Now, this is going to be one of the conversations in our, in our life groups this week. I encourage you to kind of have this conversation. But where did God come from? God does not say a whole lot about where he comes from. He says, I am. And he gives this communication, he conveys this idea that he has always been. Okay? So that's part of the conversation. But we all come to a point where there needs to be a step of faith. Now, if you have an elephant in the room, you should not ignore the elephant. Okay? For evolution, the elephant in the room is you got stuff and you have no idea where it came from. I know where it came from. God made it. The elephant in my room is okay. You say God made stuff. I'll accept your answer if you can answer this question. Where did God come from? Let's be honest. That is an issue that we wrestle with. It's an issue we don't have clarity on. You come to a point in your journey when you have to take a step of faith and the values and the ideas and worldviews that are presented to us all have a starting point in some places of faith. Now, 
Let's go on. Here's the next thing I want you to see. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. We're going to start. We're not going to go right there right away. Is there? There it is. There it is. It's there. I, thought, I thought we were going to go to Psalm 33 first. But one of the things I want you to see is that God, the triune God, is present and engaged in the creation process, in all of creation. And I know why that's there. And I have to apologize. I was going to read through verses 1 to 8, and I didn't go there. So if you want to go down to point number 3 and kind of catch up with me there, I just want to read through a couple of verses. I want to start in in Psalm verse 33 and look at verses 6 to 9. So not only is, um, is it cold, but I didn't follow the correct order that I gave them on the projector. So I apologize for you guys. So, Genesis, chapter, uh, Psalm, chapter 33, verses 6 to 9. It says, The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, Jehovah, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea into a heap, and he puts the depths into stores. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came into being. He commanded it and it came into existence. We read through those words, it's very clear. God created. We go to the next verse. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 to 17. This is talking about Jesus. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by Him. Now, that's not a little statement. It's saying that everything was created by Jesus. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Now, one of the things that's interesting is you're going to look at the creation story, is overwhelmingly it deals with the things that we see, and it talks about the things that we see, and it references other things, but it doesn't go into detail. But here it talks about those things that are visible and things that are invisible. And today in our culture and in our world, we've had the joy of science. And as science has advanced, they developed all of these technologies to either to look out to the stars and see things in the stars that we could never ever see before. And we've also created this ability to look into things and to see the building blocks of all of the things that exist around us, a technology and an ability that we had never ever had before. So we can go down to the core of DNA to see what makes things. And what we see here in the statement is saying that Jesus created, created everything, both those things that are visible and all of those things that are invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. We read that and we understand and it's very, very clear. It's unapologetic and it's very, very clear in the statement. Jesus is the creator. So we read in Psalms, God the Father is the creator. We read here in Colossians, Jesus is the creator. And then we go on to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. And we read this. It says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now, What are we dealing with? I want you to see that the reality of the Trinity nature of God is present in the creative process. God the Father, 
God the Son and God the Spirit are present and engaged in the creative process. Now, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more when we get to day six. Okay? We're not going to talk about this a whole lot in detail today. But I think this is an important issue. We can just keep it on verse 2. We don't have to go to verse 7. Or we can drop down. Um, This is what's important. I don't understand it. But in our culture and in our world today, there's a lot of conversation that talks about how the Holy Spirit is not God. I'm not sure I fully understand that conversation. And we'll talk more about this as we get to chapter, get to day six. But I think this is an important conversation and part of what I want you to see and part of what I want us to recognize that, again, as we come and we, as we look at Genesis 1 to 11, the core doctrines and core foundations of what we believe are being introduced. And even in this process, even in this conversation, we see the introduction of the varied nature of God. Now, I have difficulty putting God in a box and trying to fully understand him. I'm being honest with you. I don't fully understand all of the components of who God is and what makes God God and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. But one of the things I look at in scripture, it's pretty clear to me that he is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is three, and yet he identifies himself as one. Can I fully explain that? I really can't. This is where, again, I come to a point of faith and say, okay, God, you're saying this, you describe yourself this way, I don't fully understand, I can't fully wrap my head all the way around it, I can't fully explain how it all fits and how it all works, I'm going to take your word for it, that for you it works and for you it fits, for me, the the gray matter you've given me doesn't quite match the gray matter that you have in the reality and the context of who you are, I will take it by faith, I don't fully understand Have you ever had a conversation with somebody where they're explaining something to you and they fully get it? And as they're explaining it to you, you're not getting it. And in the midst of that conversation, they kind of have pity on you because you're just not quite smart enough to understand their intellect and their comprehension of things. Have you ever had those conversations where people were, it's okay. Just take it for a fact that it works. Well, this is one of those occasions where maybe your gray matter is better than my gray matter, but I have been told, it's okay, Andrew, don't worry. It works. That's what the Bible says. It works. It's true. I don't fully understand it all, but I want you to see it. God does not necessarily explain everything about himself. So again, I come back to part of the first part of the conversation. In the beginning, God, we're not talking about generic God, we're talking about specific God. And as God reveals himself, there are going to be components and aspects about him that we don't fully understand. There may be components and aspects about him that we're going to say, I wish, God, you were different. But he's not different. He is who he is. He's revealed himself. He's shown himself. And we don't get to cherry pick who God is. Now, I've done a fair amount of counseling. I've done premarital counseling. I've done some marital counseling. Here's one of the things I have discovered in that process. 
I'll start out in, in my premarital counseling. I'll put this out of the way here. I, I start out in my premarital counseling and I will say to the, to the couple that is sitting in front of me, what I would like you to do is this. I would like you to like make a list of three to five things that you would like to change about your fiancé. Invariably, one of them starts to smile. <laughs> As they start to write, because they are hoping that now, in the midst of the conversation, and part of the process of my premarital counseling, I will help them to fix him or her. And then after they make their list, and they have their list ready, I will look at them and say, now, here's what I want you to understand. You are not going to be able to change these things. (laughs) In your fiancé. You're not going to change it. Now, they might be willing to work on it. They might be willing to modify it. There might be things that they're going to adjust and to accommodate issues and concerns for you. But the reality is, this is kind of who they are in certain ways. Now, they will, they will grow and they will develop. Now, Joan would attest to this, that I am different in many ways than I was when we got married. And yet, at the same time, I'm still the same guy she married. For good or for ill. (laughs) She signed on the dotted line and said, I do. (laughs) And it's true for all of us. We adapt and we grow and we develop, and yet also we are still who we are. But this is also true of God, that God is who God is. We don't get to pick and choose, and we don't get to mold him and shape him into who we want him to be. And so when I look at the issues of the Trinity, I don't fully understand all of that. But it is who he is. Now, one of the things that stands out to me as we continue this conversation, God is creating in stages. He's created in stages. We start here in verse 2. He says, we see here that he created the heavens and the earth. But then as we come into verse 2, he says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. I'll say it in maybe this way. God is creating in stages, and the first thing he did is he created stuff. He created clay, so to speak. And now he's going to start to shape it. He didn't, he didn't form everything all at once and make everything delineated and detailed all at once. He's creating in stages, starting with stuff. Now, I also want to say this. The account is narrow. As you look at this account, the creation account is narrow. God does not talk about how he formed and shaped all the stars. We talk about the heavens being created and he creates lights in the sky. 
But we don't, he doesn't go into detail about he, how he shaped all of the galaxies and how he shaped all the stars. And it doesn't go into detail that some of these stars that we see are actually galaxies. They're actually millions of stars. But they're so far away, they're a single pinpoint of light for us to our eyes. He doesn't go into the detail of that. He doesn't go into the detail of how far away these things are. He doesn't go into the detail of the creation of heaven and what went into the creation of heaven. He doesn't go into the detail of the creation of angels. So as we look at the creation account, it's a narrow account. It's a focused account. We're talking about the creation overwhelmingly of earth. And as it touches on other points, it's ancillary and incidental to the primary story and the primary conversation of the creation of earth in the creation of man, and the environment we live in. Why? Because this is where we live. This is our world. This is our setting. And it's really a conversation that God is having with you and I, and it's an introduction to you and I about our journey. It's not so much a science book. Now, the things that he talks about are scientific, and you'll, you'll read different things, and you'll see different things about how the heavens are cast forth, and, and, and you'll read in other places in the scriptures where it talks about the vault of the earth. There's another area about how God hangs the earth on nothing. And again, so you'll see components of, of, of scientific evidence or scientific statements that kind of, or, or statements that kind of point to scientific foundation. But the intention is not to talk science. But to talk in a context that people typically communicate in. But the focus is narrow. We're talking about the creation of earth, the creation of our world, the creation of man, the creation of the things we see. Now, let's kind of go on. As you can see, number four, the end of day one. And let's look at Genesis chapter three, chapter one. I, I have in my notes three. I'm sorry, this is like this dyslexic thing that's going on in my head right now. Chapter one, verses three to five. Look at Genesis one, verses three to five. And hopefully I actually did it right on the slide. It says, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There is an evening, and there is a morning on day one. Three things stand out on the creation of the rest of day one. And with this, we'll stop, and we'll, we'll, we'll kind of wrap up at the end of day one. Three things created that we see here. We see the creation of light. So again, we go back to verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God created light. Don't know what was there before, and I don't know how it all works, but part of what God created, he created light, and right now there are not stars, there are not moons, there is no sun, but there is now light, and there is darkness. The solar system, the, 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 those things don't show up, I think, until day 4. All right? But God created light. Separated it from darkness. The light he called day, the darkness he called night. So God created light. Number two, God created time. Look at verse five. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning. One day, or day one. God created time. 
Now, this is important to think about this. Because again, we don't have a planet per se yet. Doesn't exist. There's just a lot of stuff. Things haven't quite been shaped and moved and rearranged. There isn't a sun in the sky. There isn't a moon in the sky. There aren't stars in the galaxy. All this stuff hasn't been made yet. But one of the things I want you to see is that God, here even on the very beginning of what he defines as day, is day one. God is creating time. How do you and I measure time? We measure it by days. Now we have broken down our days into hours and minutes. But we measure time by days. In the world as it starts to circulate around the sun. And as the earth spins on its axis. And we've recognized that the earth spins about 24 hours. It spins full time around. And we recognize that the earth rotates around the sun about once a year, and so we have started to break things down. Our days become seasons, and our days become years, but we measure things at the core basis through the day. And we might have years and measure years, but what are the years? They're all marks of days. Day one. God created time. Now, this is an interesting conversation and I'm, I typically don't go to words and talk a lot about words. But you're going to hear this in other contexts, so I want to throw this out and have this conversation. The word for day is yom. And you'll hear people talk about yom, and, and this is, it's a big issue, and it's not a big issue, but it's kind of a big issue. But it's not a big issue because of yom. It's a big issue because of the conversation around it. So, on days one, two, and three. How long were those days? Were they 24 hours? Or were they 15 minutes? How long were those days? Because yom means day. But, the reality of day, the earth spinning on its axis, was not established, was not determined until day four. So how long are these days? One, two, and three. Are they 15 minutes? Are they 25 years? Or are they 24 hours? The reason this is a big deal is because people look at this, and this is where some of the day-age theories start to kick in. And the problem with day-age theory is as people look at this, they will come back and say, well, listen, day does not really mean a 24-hour period because the 24-hour cycle was not in existence until day four. Therefore, when the writer... Moses talks about day in the creation story. He's not really talking about a 24-hour period. He's talking about a generic statement as, i.e., in this period of time, God took a period of time to create stuff. 
Then he took a period of time to create light, to separate light from darkness. And so as we talk through the process of day one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven, we're not really talking about 24-hour periods of time. We're talking about generic periods of time. And the word day just means a period of time. It doesn't really mean a day. Tracking with me so far? Understanding that? And therefore they go, Therefore, this could be any length of time, and this is where then the day-age theory starts to kick in. And they say, well, what happened is that God created something here, and the way he shaped everything is he shaped everything through evolution. For me, I'm not sure I can personally say days one, two, and three are 24-hour periods. I don't have a box I can jump up and down on. But I am totally content if it's a 24-hour period. I'm also totally content if it's 15 seconds, 15 minutes, 15 hours, or 15 years. I really don't care. What I really know is that when God says, I want this, and he speaks, it can be exactly what he wants, and it can take just a fraction of the second. God can think... And it's there. Because he's God. I don't think God needs 24 hours to do stuff. Now we'll get later on, we'll, we'll get to day, day, day two and day three, and, and we'll look at some of the stuff, particularly in, in day three as, as plants and stuff get to start getting created, and later on as animals get created, and then as man gets created, we can say, well, now this stuff was a little more complicated and a little more involved, and we can appreciate the fact that God might have taken a little bit more time. But the reality is that God is God, and then could have all been done like that. The key issue for me in all of this is that we are recognizing that this is the creative aspect of God. And whether yam means a 24-hour period or yam is just a placeholder for a period of time, don't lose sight of the fact that this is the creative act of God. We are not talking about evolution. There will be some individuals who will be very pointed and very dogmatic on the fact that it's 24 hours. And they get dogmatic on the whole issue of a 24-hour period of time because they are confronting and arguing with the evolutionist. And that's why they become adamant on that. I'm not sure I can be as dogmatic as that. I'm not saying I disagree. That it, I'm not saying it isn't. I think it probably very well could be. I just know that the 24-hour period of time does not come into existence until day four. Am I making sense? Here's the key. We're going to have this conversation about what day means. That's a distraction. It's just a distraction. What we really need to recognize is that God has created He's created over six periods of time. But he has created. It hasn't just happened. It hasn't evolved. God has intentionally and God has specifically created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We can't lose sight of that. And we really shouldn't try to redefine that to mean something else happened. Am I making sense? All right. Well, you have all been good. You're kind of chilly. I'll shut up and let the music team come back. But let's have a word of prayer as we...
Get ready to shift gears. Father, I want to say thank you so much for your goodness and for your kindness to us. Father, I thank you for the various ways that you continue to reveal yourself and show yourself. Father, thank you for the beginning of your word as you start to tell us how you started to create, how you started to make, then also how you started to reveal yourself and show yourself to us, and how you started to establish relationship with us. Father, guide our time as we continue our journey and warm our spirits and souls as we lift our voices again in celebrating the amazingness of who you are. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.